0: The 630Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630Chad.
1: Yes, one year later, March 16th, uh, really the day that, um, you know, public state of emergencies uh, were called, were were put in place. And um, for a lot of us, you know, we were sent home. We were sent home uh, from work, kids uh, were staying home from school. Uh, what a year it has been. So we know that things changed big time a year ago. They changed huge a year ago. Uh, the first documented case of COVID-19 arrived in our province on March fifth, 2020. Do you remember this? Today, I'm here to announce that the first presumptive case of COVID-19 has been detected in Alberta. Although the testing done has not yet been confirmed at the national lab, we believe that it is important to take immediate public health action to prevent the possibility of spread while we wait for confirmation. The individual is a woman in her 50s who appears to have contracted the virus while aboard the Grand Princess cruise ship in California. The individual who lives in the Calgary Zone returned on February 21st. She has been isolated at home since February 28th. The individual is recovering at home and is expected to make a full recovery. We are taking this extremely seriously. Public health measures are already being put in place to prevent spread of the virus. So by March 12th, though, Alberta announced a ban on large gatherings of more than 250 people, and all of those who had traveled outside of Canada had to self-isolate for 14 days and monitor for symptoms. And then things kept happening in the days that followed. March 16th, 2020, students across the province were sent home, all kindergarten to grade 12 classes and in-person post-secondary lectures were suspended. It was also the day, as I mentioned earlier, that, that many employees were sent home. A year later, many people are still working from home if they're lucky enough to still have a job. The premier declared a public state of emergency and the province imposed a number of rules including limited mass gatherings and prohibiting and limiting attendance at a number of public and private facilities. On March 19th, Dr. Hinshaw announced the first death in Alberta from COVID-19. It was in the Edmonton zone and the following day, the city of Edmonton declared a local state of public emergency.
0: This decision was not made lightly, I assure you, but Council in its capacity as the Emergency Management Committee felt it was necessary to help expedite decision-making and to ensure that as an organization we are as agile as possible during these incredibly fast-moving times. In particular, we are doing this so that we have the powers, should we need them, to keep people safe.
1: So today, one year later, the province has recorded almost 2,000 deaths from COVID-19. There's been 138,788 confirmed cases. The largest number of cases by zone has been in the Edmonton zone, which has had uh, almost 55,000 total cases. So, my friends, Chadville, here we are one year later, reflecting on the year past. And with great anticipation, we're considering what the year ahead might look like now, we know that one of the main reasons we saw so many restrictions put in place and tough restrictions, one that in some cases have had detrimental effects on people's personal lives and livelihoods, was to help prevent the spread and help the healthcare system, which was on the brink of being completely overrun. And some may say it actually was. Let's take a look back with a guest who became a regular. On the show over the past year sharing his insights from inside the intensive care unit at the university of alberta hospital dr peter brinley dr brinley welcome back to the show
0: thank you very much for having me what a fascinating sobering and insightful uh, summary you just gave
1: well it's it's amazing what has happened in in just over a year where's your head at uh, a year on
0: uh optimistic i guess is where my head is <laughs> at. it's going to be about a year it's, it's been a tough year it's been a tough year for everybody as you pointed out and certainly not just healthcare workers it's been toughest of all for people trapped inside people who passed away people whose businesses are in a shambles um wow what a year
1: you know looking back if anyone who would have told me that a vaccine would be getting into the arms of people already i would have called there i would have said they were full of it they're full, <laughs> absolutely full of it i mean but you know some of the experts did say hey you know what you mark my words by march of next year it will happen um you know when it comes to vaccine and the vaccine rollout i mean are you as gobsmacked as i am but how quickly it's happened
0: i all kudos to science hey i am gobsmacked um I've been writing regular articles through this and one of my articles Uh was sort of work is underway but please don't hold your breath for a coronavirus vaccine fast and Uh lo and behold a number of months later and it makes sense I mean you know there's no conspiracy theory here the way they did it is remarkable and the science behind it and the genomic uh, summary of the virus etc etc it's remarkable stuff Um, all kudos to the people that developed that vaccine and There's this danger of sort of vaccine envy where those of us that have had our vaccines, and I have, Mm -hmm. um, we're not going to rub it in the noses of anyone else, I promise you, I promise you, but it's interesting, we are painfully slow on the rollout across this otherwise lovely country, and I know it's extremely tough for people who are waiting for one of any of the vaccines to come their way.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Brindley. can you take us back? I mean, we, we talked and a lot of people couldn't understand, I think, uh, why a number, why, why these restrictions were put in place, you know, to, to slow the spread and to really help preserve the healthcare system. And to this day, I know there's a lot of folks who are like, I don't understand it. You know, they, they should be able to handle it just fine. But I'm wondering if you can take me inside the hospital on one of those days when it was, you know, you know, uh, unfortunately packed to the brim with people and you were you were were you were dealing with what you had to to deal with at that time what was that like at at the height of the pandemic the first wave or the second wave what was a day like for you
0: well the second wave was the tough one so December January we were absolutely packed our capacity was twice what it normally would be and and what it ever has been in history so this was the fullest and over fullest that the ICU has ever been. Um, You know, you you mentioned sort of disbelief and and people's surprise or denial. You know what? To a degree, we went through some of that too. We just went through it much earlier. Mm -hmm. And so we were wondering, really, what are the numbers going to be like? Do we need all of this lockdown, Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, et cetera, et cetera. But. It was clear we did. Uh, it was just healthcare workers were exposed to it that much sooner than the public. And I realise a lot of the public still haven't seen inside an ICU and they've been excluded from hospitals for most of the last year, which is which is awful because their loved ones desperately need them to come and visit. But I can understand why there was so much denial and doubt in the public. I get it. I heard it from my friends and my family and my neighbours. But it was real
1: it was uh, it was real and yeah. uh, it must have been overwhelming and I and I've and I'm concerned for for a lot of people's mental health um, one year into this whether it's you know the folks who've lost their businesses from kids trying to figure out you know what happened in the past school year relationships but I'm also concerned about yeah. you know the, the health care health workers and, and what they've seen what they've witnessed what they've had to go through um, on that front you know can you can you share some light on that and you know concerns on that what and what is in place to to help guide those people who are on the front lines through this um in, in in now what is a little bit more of a relatively more quieter time
0: yeah well i'm very glad you mentioned what's become known as a parallel mental health pandemic and it has been Absolutely awful for all sorts of people. It has affected my family. It has affected my neighbourhood, and it's affected my colleagues. So it's it's definitely not just healthcare workers. And as you've pointed out, I've pointed out half a dozen times, it's actually been tougher in many respects on non-healthcare workers because at least we've had a job to go to, and at least we've had a distraction and a sort of sense of purpose. But what's in place? Well, you know what? The Alberta Medical Association has done a fantastic job. AHS has put things into place. Um, You know, the best way to look after each other has always been to dose kindness liberally, to check in on people, to phone people. Um, to make a nuisance of yourself and just check in. And I've been doing a lot of that with friends and colleagues, and friends and colleagues have been doing it a lot with me. We are nervous in that there does appear to be the beginnings of a third wave. Our numbers are back up again. And these variants that people have heard about are mm-hmm. coming into the hospitals. And in addition to that, we're, we're nervous because as soon as this quote-unquote ends, and that's a, another long discussion, then we have the backlog of all the surgeries that have been... Delayed. So mm. it's going to go on for a while. Healthcare workers are doing okay, though. We're a resilient bunch, just like everybody else in this magnificent province.
1: I was I was reading an article the other day it was from a journalist who uh, was reflecting on the past year and it was the words of a, of a nurse that he kept coming back around to and it was talking about about um, you know this nurse telling him this story of holding someone's hand and being the person there when uh, this person passed away because family couldn't be there or because of the numbers whatever it was I mean when it comes to death and dying i mean doctors deal with this on a daily basis but has it changed the way that you look at it or the way you handle it moving forward given given what we've seen over the past year and the way the restrictions that were put in place
0: well i hope it hasn't because uh, every death is very sad and and deserves ceremony and and ritual and and people there and hugs and kisses and goodbyes and all that sort of stuff, whether it's pre-COVID, peri-COVID, or post-COVID, and regardless of whether you're talking about a a virus or a heart attack or a stroke or what have you, Mm -hmm. the ICU, death in the ICU is about 15%. Mm -hmm. In other words, and and sort of always has been. Um, In other words, ICUs are incredible places because, if you think about it, you only really get admitted to an ICU if there's no other treatment option. So it's incredible the number of people that are saved, but equally as ICU staff, we've always been familiar with death. I I, I realize my words are always going to sound a bit peculiar, but it's something we've dealt with on a daily basis. There was certainly a lot more of it, And it was certainly much harder because, as you say, I'm a big believer that families are life support every bit as much as my machines and tubes. And, you know, we were down to one form of life support, just the machines and tubes and not the family to be there and care. And we we did everything we possibly could with FaceTime and daily updates and things of that. sort. But you had this awful irony of the very people that were closest to the patient couldn't visit because they were part of their cohort and so if one person was infected the other person had almost certainly been exposed and so it was this double whammy of the very people that we wanted to be able to visit really couldn't and it must have been absolutely awful uh, for those families And and it continues to be pretty awful for those families my immense sympathies
1: we will and we will be taking a look back over the past year on the show today. And uh, I understand, you know, some of you saying, I, I, "I'm sick of talking about COVID. I don't want to talk about COVID anymore. I don't want to listen to anything about COVID anymore." Understand? We are all really COVIDed. Out, and I get that completely, but we did want to mark uh, this week in uh, this province's history where things change dramatically. Dr. Peter Brindley is an intensive care doctor at the UVA Hospital joining us this afternoon. Dr. Brindley do you have do you have a moment that that sticks out for you um, you know in the ICU um, over the past year that that maybe sums up what your team went through what it was like that you'd be willing to share with us
0: yes I abso- absolutely would I do want to reflect on the comment you just made too though I'm, I'm sick to the back of fatigue. Teeth of COVID and talking about it, and I've had plenty of conversations where we've had preconditions before we started that we wouldn't mention the words uh-huh. COVID or Corona. So I get it. The moment uh, that I think will stick with me for the rest of my days is actually the very first patient that I had uh, in the ICU, and ultimately, that person was the very first death in the province. Um, and uh, there, there was a. It wasn't clear what would work and what wouldn't work at the time because this was novel. This was unprecedented to use two of the painful cliches that people have probably sick of too. And our decision was that we were going to prone the patient, which means to turn somebody from lying on their back to lying on their front. There's all sorts of Mm -hmm. physiologic reasons why that appears to have been beneficial during COVID. But it's no small undertaking, especially when it's a bigger patient. Um, And tubes can become dislodged. And, you know, in theory, the virus could get sprayed around the room, et cetera, et cetera. And we really didn't know how virulent it was or wasn't at that point. And I just remember looking at a a bunch of my colleagues, uh, people I already adored, but adore even more, and just sort of looking at them and saying, okay, we're going to do this, guys, shall we? And it went from, not fear, because that's the wrong word, but trepidation and preparation to this kind of sense of, right, let's go. And And the switch flipped from, this could be scary to, I want in on this. And you could see our staff instantly going, great, I'm on the front lines, I wanna be involved, I wanna do everything I can. And, and you saw that people weren't running away from it, they were running towards it. And the interesting thing was when they ran towards it, that was when there was more of a sense of control and less anxiety and less anticipation and more sort of, I can do this, I'm trained to do this. And it was a very, very touching moment that I've reflected on many times. Before
1: I let you go, Dr. Brindley, uh, I think uh, a lot of people are feeling some hope, some optimism. Obviously, the vaccine uh, rollout, as slow as it is. Uh, you know, we're, we're being told that every Albertan should be able to have uh, at least one shot by June. So this is good news. What are you hoping to do? when we're allowed to do it what is the top of your list what is on the top of your
0: list uh, i'm going to become a hug addict first of all um (laughs) i feel sorry for people who strangers who walk by me uh that's probably number one i have booked a ticket for the fall that is fully refundable because i just need something to look forward to um i uh Sorry, I got somebody waving at a car for me. I got, maybe I'll give him <laughs> a hug at some point. Um, the I, I just I want to go hiking. I want to go fishing. I want to just get outside. To be honest, now you know I still love my job and it's going to be busy for a long time, so that's fine too. Um, can I just use this platform to just emphasize how wonderful vaccines are? Um, you know, most of the public thinks vaccines are great, but not all. Um, the more I've read about vaccination, it's possible that most of the history of the last 200 years could have been lockdowns from, you know, polio, measles, you name it, uh, without vaccines. So let's get these darn things rolled out. It's it's such a shame that Canada's so far behind other people. I understand we're about 40th in the world, but those vaccines are coming, and please get in there, roll up your sleeve. All three of them are safe. They definitely work. We as staff have had our, as a part of a study, actually had our immunity confirmed by doing blood tests to show that we have immunity. And they're phenomenally effective many, many, many more times than the immunity that you need just to get by. So these are great, safe. Please get them because then we can all, every single one of us, get back to a normal life.
1: Quickly, what did you learn about this community that you call home over the past year?
0: Well, you know what? I mean, nobody lives in this part of the world for the weather. Um, we live here because there's decent people, sensible people, hardworking people. I've been really, really touched by the random acts of kindness that I've had. My hairdresser, who I think his business was going under, but he still refused to make me pay. The person who rotates my tires, who refused to let me pay etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, uh, you know yeah there have been angry outbursts from all sorts of people and there's been denial and there's been protest but you know ultimately I, I still think people are rather magnificent and definitely worth saving and definitely worth caring about and uh, maybe we needed a bit of a shake up to make us less focused on status and money and you know the latest trip you took and showing off at parties and things of that sort Um, maybe that's the biggest thing I've taken away from it. I, I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but I definitely, as a healthcare worker, wouldn't have missed it, and it's definitely nudged me as a person towards a better version of me rather than a worse version of me, and that's why it's lovely being a doctor.
1: Dr. Brindley, we'll leave it there. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. I appreciate it, as always.
0: Absolute pleasure. Warmest, warmest. Perry and post-COVID regards to everybody. All the best.
1: Thank you so much. Dr. Preeta, Peter Brinley checking in this afternoon. We'll